in-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is Fourth Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. And welcome in to Fourth Down in the Steel City as we build up towards Monday night and a huge game at Don't Call It Acrisure Stadium, Heinz Field. Alongside Josh Taylor, I'm Chris Mack, and we are going to get you ready for this one. All week long, we've been talking about the physical beating the Steelers took from the San Francisco 49ers. Can they be the first team in at least a season to bounce back from a game against the Niners without a bye week following and actually win? This would be a pretty major pivot for the Steelers, uh, given the way they got physically manhandled this past Sunday. Don't forget, as we dive into things here, to subscribe, however you get your podcasts, whether it's Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get it, Spotify, or in your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, tap that little subscribe button or follow button and make sure you get notified as soon as new episodes are out. If you enjoy the show on YouTube, well, thank you very much. We, we enjoy it on YouTube as well, and we appreciate you watching. Make sure to hit that notification bell on the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page, and you'll get notified as soon as new videos are up, including full episodes of fourth down in the steel city. So here's the first thing that I find myself asking as we start to pivot away from San Francisco, Josh and toward Cleveland. And it's this, um, can this offense bounce back specifically Kenny Pickett? Because that was one of the worst, if not the worst performance I've seen from Pickett relative to expectations, certainly. But I think even overall, the worst performance we've seen from Kenny Pickett since he took over as the Steelers' starting quarterback. And it can't get worse than last Sunday against San Francisco, but I'm just hoping that somehow it can pivot in another direction and get better against the defense that manhandled Joe Burrow a week ago. I say yes. Yes, he can bounce back, and I say yes, the offense can bounce back for a few different reasons. Reason number one is because last week against San Francisco was the sum of all fears. Everything we talked about that could potentially go wrong for the Steelers on offense is what exactly happened. We talked about this defense being physical and being able to beat people up. That's exactly what they did. The best defense, I'm going to remind people, the best defense in the land last season in both yards and points. Came into Acrisure Stadium and punched the Steelers in the face in front of their kids and stole their chain. (laughs) That's the best way to describe it. I don't think that's going to happen the second time around. Now, that's the bad news about what happened last week. The good news is that's the best defense they're going to face all year. So I think that's why, if only by comparison, if only by lack of better alternative, they could bounce back. That's the first reason. The second reason why I think they could bounce back is because I don't think we're going to see Kenny Pickett have that many bad performances back-to-back. Because we didn't see that last year where he had bad performances back-to-back. So I think that can change this time around. I think he's going to learn from the mistakes that he made this time around. And I also think that even though we saw – some of the things might be relative to play calling. While that might be true, some of it might be relative to the guys around him, and that might be true, including losing his best route runner, not only during that game, but also now for the next nearly month and a half, and that might be true. I also think that Kenny Pickett will raise his level of play, and he won't look that bad two weeks in a row. 
the third reason why I think it could be better. And honestly, this is one of those times where I'm going to put some people in conflict here because Chris, I'm pretty sure that there's some of our colleagues right now that are that, that sweaty guy meme trying to pick between the two different buttons. <laughs> and one of them is trying to atone for Kenny Pickett's inaccuracy in certain situations. And the other one is pro football focuses, offensive line pass block ratings because they weren't good either. And you're like, well, which one do we blame? It, we, we don't know which one it could be because if you have to admit one, then that also means you have to I say all three of those things as reasons why this offense can bounce back because I don't think all three of those things are going to happen next week. I don't think they're going to get kicked in the teeth by Cleveland's defense. I don't think any pick is going to have a bad performance the second week in a row, and I don't think the offensive line will look that bad a second time in a row. Yeah, the offensive line is an interesting part of this. We were going back and forth looking at different rankings earlier in the week in reaction to week one, and the scores were not good from PFF in particular. Uh, I'm just looking at it again, and, and after they sort of clean things up, go through the game a second and third time, um, Dan Moore Jr. was ranked dead last amongst all tackles in the league week one. Um, Isaac Sayamalu did not have a solid game. I believe eighth worst amongst all guards in the league. Mason Coles, I believe sixth or seventh worst center amongst all centers in the league. Again, these are according to PFF's rankings. So whether you're a PFF proponent or critic does not matter. They're, they're ranking all these guys. And the numbers are not good relative to the rest of the league, I think, is the most important part. So the line's got to be better. We all agree on that. The coaching, I do think, has to be better. I'm, we're not those guys yes. to try to make it all about Matt Canada. But it's got to be better, not just than it was against San Francisco, but than it has been at any other time in Canada's tenure because they're without Deontay yep. Johnson, like you pointed out, their best route runner. And so George Pickens is going to be double covered, I would say, 90% of the time. So, A, identify when your wide receiver one is single covered and get him the damn ball. And two, knowing that nine times out of ten he's going to be double covered, find ways to scheme him out of that coverage um, or scheme him into a spot where he can make a play on a ball. That's the other thing I don't necessarily trust yet. And again, I, I preface everything with the caveat of we don't put everything on Matt Canada. Other people make mistakes. We just got done talking about the line. As far as Kenny Pickett is concerned, I'm, I'm worried, to be honest. Um, I do believe, like you, that he is more likely for a, a bounce back in his accuracy. Um, but this is going to have to he, – he's going to have to show that week one against San Francisco was a radical kind of outlier. Like, that it was the worst possible performance he could ever put out there, which I think it's right up there as one of the worst performances he's ever put out there. And that all he has to do is come back to baseline, come back to the middle. He does not have to be otherworldly. He doesn't have to go 33 of 36 for 330 yards. All he's got to do is come back to what is asked of Kenny Pickett. And I think, think that should be enough if everything else breaks the right way. But he can't. It, I hesitate to tell a young quarterback you can't make mistakes because then things start to clinch up, right? And it's, oh, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to do that. And he starts throwing darts. But Kenny Pickett can't make any mistakes this weekend. Because if he does, especially early in the game, and it swings things in Cleveland's direction, gives him a short field, whatever it may do, leads to points, 
and Cleveland gets up by, I think the magic number right now is probably 10. Um, if they get up by 10 or more, Two possessions. I don't, yep. I don't count on the Steelers being able to fight back against that. So again, I hesitate to say that Kenny Pickett can't bounce back or won't bounce back. I just don't know if it's going to be in the way some people want it to be. It's not going to be glorious, you know, return to, um, Hall of Fame style quarterbacking that some people have claimed he's capable of. I just just be good enough. Just get back to the baseline. Um, if he can do that, okay, that's enough. There, there's two proponents that I should say. There's two components, not proponents. Two components that I will add to this particular discussion. One is that you hope, and I, I say hope in capital letters, bold and italicized and underlined. You hope that you don't have to abandon the run game so quickly. I, right. There are people saying, like, oh, why'd they give up on the run game? They were down by 17. That's why you gave up on the run game. When you're down 17, trying to get a, a, a split zone to, duo for three yards or first down no longer makes sense anymore. So no. that, that's, that's the answer to that question for those who still can't figure that part out. But you hope they don't have to do that this time. You're hoping that the run game can actually be part of the game plan now. And that's for two reasons. One, because you got to get your running backs involved at some point. And two, because you're hoping Darnell Washington has a reason to get himself up onto the field. Because if that's the reason that you put him on the field, based on what we're seeing with some of the people that are cutting clips online and putting him out there, them bearing any white jersey he saw last week, if that's your excuse, that's a good enough excuse for me because you're going to need him at some point. Yeah, tomorrow this, when we get into when we get into building things. I'm oh, sorry, talking go ahead, about go ahead. George Pickens. Mm-hmm. I, I I hear what you're saying about George Pickens, and I I, I understand the, the understanding of yeah, you got to find a way to, to to move things around and get him involved. But here's the second part of it, folks. Defenses study film too. They pay the guys on the other side of the ball too. They know George Pickens is coming. They have heard the same things and seen the same things in the offseason that we have seen and heard in the offseason. I'm sure they saw the preseason tape of what he did against Atlanta and what he did against Tampa Bay, too. I'm sure the Browns know. And, oh, yeah, by the way, hey, Mike Tomlin already said, hey, Cleveland's corners might have won that game against Cincinnati for them next week. So this will not be an easy task. However, there has to be a way that they get George Pickens involved. But it's not just necessarily, hey, put George Pickens here and throw the ball every other down, 40 yards down the field. No, it's do some things with Allen Robinson. It's do some things with Calvin Austin the third. It's do some things with Pat Pryormuth that make them more accountable in the offense to get them involved. And then when Cleveland has to pay those guys attention, all right, fine. One-on-one on the outside, now you go to George Pickens. You don't just do it every other snap willy-nilly because, oh, five minutes ago, but you haven't thrown it to George Pickens. That's not how football works. If you got a guy that's bracketed or double teamed or shaded over in that direction, it doesn't make throwing the ball to him prudent in that particular moment. However, if you got Pat Fryermuth lined up on a linebacker and he keeps beating him, you got to get a safety down to take care of the middle of the field. Now you got a shot to go to George Pickens. You have to be prudent about it. You got to get Calvin Austin the third. Maybe you put both of them on the side and let them both go deep down the field and make the defense decide which one they're going to cover. That's one way you can get around not having Deontay Johnson. That's where Matt Canada has to be creative because it can't be, oh, just throw the ball twice as much to that guy because guess what the defense is going to do? They're going to try twice as hard to take that guy away. So now you got to get other guys involved too. So all of this comes together. 
Your run game's got to get going. You got to get other guys involved in the pass game. And more importantly, and the thing that ties it all together, your line has to block well to make it all work or all of this is moot in the long term anyway. Yeah, and it all starts with the quarterback. We'll expound a little bit more as we build the game plan on tomorrow's episode of Fourth Down in the Steel City, but it all starts with the quarterback. On the other side of the ball, it all starts with the superstar edge rusher, the guy who may have had the best edge rushing day of anyone in the league in week one, even in a loss. We get into TJ Watt and whether he can carry this defense now with Cam Hayward out, especially up front. That's next on Fourth Down in the Steel City. depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is fourth down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. Welcome back into fourth down in the Steel City alongside Josh Taylor. I am Chris Mack and we have got you covered today. Pushing farther down the line towards a Monday night kick, which by the way, the Steelers don't lose Monday nights at home. They just don't. They've won 20 in a row. So maybe there's a little bit of something there, something that pushes them towards what would be a huge W. Rare you get to talk about must-win games early in the season. This is about as close as you can get to a must-win game in week two. Anyway, Steelers, Browns tomorrow. We will build the game plan. Uh, we'll also get you our picks as well. We got you covered all weekend long getting ready for fourth down in the Steel City's look at Steelers Browns. We talked about Kenny Pickett a couple minutes ago, Josh. Uh, the other side of the ball is going to have to be carried by TJ Watt. Cam Hayward out. Obviously, Keanu Benton and however else they fill those snaps on the defensive line will be important. Um, there are still a ton of other questions on the defensive side of the ball when we get into talking about the game plan later in the weekend. I'll save that. But with Watt specifically, I mean, I, I look at Cleveland's offensive line, and as good as it is, I still look at T.J. Watt and say, the way that guy played against San Francisco's offensive line, why can't he go off against Cleveland's offensive line? And a guy who will be making, I think, his second career start, maybe, or at least his first career start against the Browns, Dewan Jones. Um, there's there's an opportunity again for T.J. Watt to eat an inexperienced offensive tackle's lunch. Yeah, he did it last week with Colton McKivitz, and it was exactly what Sterling Bennett expected it that it could be. And this is another opportunity for him. And I think it does have to start with T.J. Watt, and not only because of the pass rush, but also because of the run game as well. Here's what I remind people: T.J. Watt is not the right outside linebacker. He's the left, left outside linebacker. So he's lined up more often than not on the strong side of the offense. That becomes something that you take into account when you're talking about what the other team is going to do, not only in the pass game, but in the run game as well. Because now you have to think about, do you want to run the ball to TJ Watt side of the field? And if that is the case, now you're talking about, hey, are you, what, what side of the field would you normally look to avoid Cam Hayward? Now you got to think about that. So now it becomes an extra bit of pressure on Alex Highsmith. It becomes an extra bit of pressure on Keanu Benton because he's probably going to be thrust into that role, and they're probably going to test him early. And, oh, yeah, by the way, the guy we're handing the ball off back to back here, the guy we're handing him the ball off to, that's Nick Chubb, and he's one of the hardest guys in the league to tackle at the running back position. So good luck with that too. This is where the linebackers come into play. Chris, you've been talking about Landon Roberts and what he does in the run game from the moment we started doing this show. This mm -hmm. becomes so much more important. 
to have him on the field. This becomes so much more important that whoever between Quan Alexander and Cole Holcomb, I imagine in rundowns, it's going to be Quan Alexander. These two guys have to be very, very stout in the run game too. It's going to take a collective effort, but you're right. It has to start with the guy wearing number 90. He's got to be able to get in the backfield and make some plays, and he's capable of doing that. I think that's something that we kind of take off the table because we always talk about his pass rush ability and some of the freakish plays he can make in defending the pass, even when he's not getting after the quarterback. But we take his ability to help set the edge in the run game, and we kind of we kind of set it to the side and don't always acknowledge it. It becomes a much more important thing here. So, yes, it does take all the other guys around him, but 90 is going to have to set the tone, not only in the pass game, but in the run game as well. Yeah, and, and I just think about – Let's say you can minimize Nick Chubb, right? I'm not asking you to take Chubb completely out of the game, but just minimize him. Keep him from ripping off one of those 40, 50-yard runs early in the game that Mike Tomlin referenced during his press conference on Tuesday. They've seen it happen before. Just Don't allow another CMC moment, basically. Exactly, exactly. Uh, if you can do that, well, now you're, I think, and, and again, when we build the game plan in the next episode, I think we'll get into this a little deeper, but you're putting the game a little bit more on Deshaun Watson's shoulders. And again, if Deshaun Watson ends up beating you, so be it. But the way Deshaun Watson has looked in his, what's it been, seven, eight games since he's returned to the lineup, he doesn't yep. look like a guy that can single-handedly win a game. He, the, the Browns didn't beat the Bengals because of Deshaun Watson in week one. Uh, they beat the Bengals more because of their defense. And right. I think offensively, if you can neutralize Chubb, just neutralize him, just minimize his impact somewhat, then you're going to have an opportunity because Watt's going to get off against Watson. And this is not one of those situations where you say, uh, like you remember back in the day when the Steelers would play certain mobile quarterbacks, we would talk about, oh, well, just stay in your pass rush lanes on the outside, right? Don't, don't let the pocket dissolve so the quarterback, whoever it may be, like Mike Vick, I think of in his prime, can get outside the pocket and take off, right? We wanted to stay in our rush lanes so we could keep them in the middle of the field and kind of let things collapse on top of themselves like a dying Mark, star. Mark Caballi always talks about gap integrity. That's the one thing you always harp on. <laughs> That's because if there's, if there's one thing Caballi can do, it's remain integral to his gap. He's not doing a lot of – anyway, nope. sorry, Mark. I had He's to take a shot. Uh, he is. He's a space eater. Um, Indeed. So – but, like, with T.J. Watt, you don't tell him to do that, even against a mobile quarterback like Watson. You don't tell T.J. Watt, hey, stay in your rush lane. Keep your gap integrity. No. You tell T.J. Watt, again, to harken back to Steelers of old, like Bill Coward Here tapping comes. Greg Lloyd on the shoulder pads, rush the quarterback. And if Deshaun Watson breaks contain and takes off 10 yards down the field, then T.J., you chase him down and bring him to the ground. Here's the thing. I don't think Deshaun Watson's getting away from T.J. Watt. A healthy T.J. Watt is a frightening T.J. Watt to have to run away from because you can't get away from him. A lot of quarterbacks don't have the speed to get away from that guy. So to bring it back to can T.J. Watt carry the defense, I think yes to an extent. If you can neutralize, and I don't mean take him away and take him out of the game, but just minimize Nick Chubb's ability to take over the game, then yes, I think T.J. Watt can be enough. And I'm not asking for three sacks and two forced fumbles again. I'm just asking mm -hmm. to get in there and get into Sean Watson's face and force him to make some quick decisions that he's not necessarily excited about making. And that may cause the mistakes you need on the back end that you didn't get out of Brock Purdy.
be nice to get some TFLs by comparison. If even if the sacks and the forced fumbles don't happen, TFLs are going to have to be a big thing here. You got to get tackles for loss. And, and here, here's a, here's the thing I have to remind people because they're like, oh, Mike Tomlin always says the same things. Some of those things are important. Forcing a team to get behind the sticks, having them be behind schedule. What he's talking about is instead of giving up that five or six yard run to Nick Chubb on first down, cut it to three or four because a second and five looks a lot easier to make than a second and eight. Or, yeah. or, a sec, or a second and three is going to look a lot easier than a second and six. You got to be able to find ways. Like you said, you don't have to completely take Nick Chubb out of the game, but you can't make him be the reason why Cleveland's offense keeps moving the sticks down the field, why they keep moving the ball so regularly. You have to find a way to keep that from happening. Because, oh, yeah, by the way, you still got to deal with Amari Cooper on the outside, and you don't want to have that issue especially when you had a hard time dealing with guys like Brandon Ayuk last week against San Francisco. So you don't want to get yourself back into that situation where not only you can't stop the run, but you also can't stop the one receiver that's beating your corners down the field. And you can't get back into that rhythm, so to speak, again, because it's not one you want to be stuck in. So you want to keep them behind schedule. You want to try to find a way to win first and second down because that's what sets you up for those third and long situations or third and passing downs where now – you can let the T.J. Watts loose. You can let the Alex Highsmiths loose and try to get after Deshaun Watson a lot easier than you would otherwise. I was going to say, I'm glad you brought him up. You mentioned his name because Highsmith needs to be mentioned too. Is, is PFF ranking decent enough through week one? I think 19th out of 107 edge rushers I saw. So that's, and that's, that's against a, the best offensive lineman in the league. Right. So that's quality. But now here's an Put opportunity. That in perspective. Here's an opportunity now, though, Josh, against, uh, I think it's, Jedrick Wills, who will be on the left side for the Browns, who was near the bottom of the league. I mean, I think Dan Moore was the only tackle that ranked worse than him in week one. So here's an opportunity. If they do slide that protection to TJ's side, here's an Alex Highsmith game for you. That could be the answer to it as well, as opposed to can TJ Watt carry the defense when everything's being schemed against him because he was an absolute Superman in week one. Can TJ Watt's presence be enough to allow other guys to step up in so much as can Alex Highsmith have a game that shows exactly why they gave him that contract extension. Yeah, there has to be an either or. I don't know if it could be both. I don't know if you're going to see T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith thrive or T.J. Watt and the Marcus Golden or T.J. Watt and a Nick Herbig. But if you can get, hey, okay, this guy's doing his thing or this guy is getting keyed on, so it's allowing other person on the other side, insert name here to do his thing, or even interior guy, even Keanu Benton or Larry Okunjobi or whoever, an insert interior guy here can get opportunities to make plays. I still think Keanu Benton is a pretty integral part of this defensive game plan, but we'll get into that further on down the road. But you're right. It, it just it, it does come down to either A, if TJ Watt can do his thing, or if Cleveland says, hey, we got to stop this guy against all odds and open up somebody else an opportunity to do their thing. As you pointed out, we will build the game plan brought to you by, insert your sponsorship here, in an episode this weekend on 4th Down in Steel City. We'll also get you the hot sheet, all our picks for the weekend as well. If you haven't yet subscribed or followed the podcast in whatever form you get it, do so right now so you get those episodes over the weekend and you're ready to go, flying into Monday, ready for Steelers-Browns Monday night. We've got you covered all week and, yes, even this weekend with new episodes of 4th Down in Steel City.